We want to welcome all those by way of television to this morning at all of it, United Methodist Church. We appreciate your prayer support, your financial support. Many of you know that we're small in numbers, but we're great in quality. We consider it a real privilege and honor to come into your homes by way of television and radio and Facebook and YouTube and all kinds of other strings that we have out there. And we consider it a real ministry. And if you have a favorite hymn that you like for us to place in the bulletin, do let us know. We honor that. And we honor the opportunity to come and worship with you today as we welcome you to all of it, United Methodist Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Our opening hymn is Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, our red hymnals number 25, please. You've been seated for a while, you may want to stand. Thank you. Our next song is our praise song, Only Your Mercy, Red Praise Book, number 81, please.
And shall we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, this morning we are so grateful, and as we come in a spirit of praise and worship, joyful, joyful, we do adore thee. And it's only through your mercy and and untold steadfastness of your presence. We thank you for our Sunday school. We wish that we could stream that. Our prayer partners by way of television. We thank you, Father, today for the Osseo Legion riders and as we pray for their, the success of their breakfast from 8 to 12. And we pray for wisdom on our ability to go there. We pray for our worship service and we have untold and unmentioned many prayer requests this morning as we continue to pray for those who are hospitalized and those who are on hospice and they want to be confidential, confidential so we do not mention their names, but we bring them before you, Lord, and you know their names and we, we thank you, Father, for for Barb being here and her granddaughter, we thank you for Janet and we pray for those who are traveling, Father. And we pray, Father, for the movement of your spirit in our lives. We know, Father, that there's many trafficking going on in the world, good traffic, bad traffic, hazardous traffic. And as we go about our businesses in life, we pray, Father, that you would be our co-operator in our lives. We pray for those who are not with us today, and we just pray that, Father, that they would know they were missed, that they are thought of and they are appreciated. We pray for those who faithfully watch us by way of television and those who listen by way of radio and Facebook and other means we thank you, Father, for the means of communication in the word that we may be found faithful in the last days, faithful to bring forth the word of truth, rightly discerning the word of God, the sword of the spirit, that helmet of salvation, that breastplate of righteousness, and so many other areas of life, Lord, that we learn in our Sunday school class, and we thank you for the faithfulness of their students and our teacher. We we are one of very few that have Sunday school class. And Father, if it be possible, we, we communicate that to those by way of television. And until that's made possible, we pray, Lord, that people would come to our Sunday school class that meets an hour before our worship. We get primed and, and ready for, for the message. We thank you for the hymns that you bring forth to open our spirits to the truth that you have for us. We thank you this morning as we delve into scripture. We thank you, Father, for John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the miracle of Jesus that he performed first when he began his ministry at the young age of 30 years old, at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. We pray for... Tina, Liberty, we pray that you'd have your healing hand upon her. We thank you for Mike's faithfulness in coming to share moments with the laity. We thank you, Father, for Ben who cleans our church, and we pray for Nancy as he prepares to leave our Robin Child here. Thank you for Jay Hop and their faithfulness and in the means of financial support that they provide. Pray for discernment in the times that we go ahead and in the future of the United Methodist Church that's going through so many trials and tribulations and struggles and chaos that is even common within the world. We see such brokenness and divisiveness. We pray, Father, your discernment and your guidance this morning as we Pray the prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As Mike comes forward this morning, our scripture reading, for those who are viewing or hearing us this morning, is taken from John's Gospel, second chapter of John, verses 1 through 11. John reminds us in this scripture about the fact that this is the first miracle of Jesus, the wedding at Cana. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana, Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jugs for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the wine that had been become, the water that had become wine and did not know where it had came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. And Jesus did this the first of his times in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Initially in our scripture today, we found out a wedding is where Jesus was. His mother Mary and five disciples were with him. I thought, why only five? It's because Jesus only had five disciples at that time. They were Andrew, Simon Peter, John, Nathaniel, Nathaniel and one other unnamed uh, disciple. The wedding was in Cana of Galilee, a town only mentioned in the book of John that was close to Jerusalem. The insignificance of Cana is actually its significance. Just as God regularly chooses unlikely candidates to do his work, like Jesus, Moses, David, David, Gideon, etc., he also chooses unlikely and lowly places to reveal his glory, like Bethlehem, Nazareth, and Cana. Cana was actually the home of Nathaniel. The fact that they were all there suggests that they knew the wedding participants. A further exploration of the town of Cana reveals that Jesus returned there after visiting Jerusalem and cleansing the temple. He also performed a second sign there, the healing of the son of the royal official, Carpanium. Jesus gives signs of his deity in the small, obscure town for us all. During the party, Mary made the terrible, the terrible discovery that the wine had run out. This is a socially catastrophic event for the bride and the groom. The planning and execution of a wedding had a strict cultural and social regulations, and the gift could possibly, a guest could possibly file litigation against the bridegroom for running out of wine. Running short of watered down fermented wine here at the wedding meant public shame and embarrassment for both the bride and the groom. When Mary, funny thing is he was never, she was never mentioned by name in the book of John, only as Jesus' mother, discovers the situation. But she understands the gravity and the shame it puts the newlyweds in. Whether or not Mary knew Jesus 
how or how Jesus would fix the issue is not clear. But she took the issue of the lack of wine directly to Jesus. She may not have known how Jesus would handle it, but either way, she took social abhorrent, abhorrent situation to Jesus. The act of Jesus' first public miracle written up in the book of John. He didn't do any other miracles until he turned in the book of John until he turned the water into wine. The Lord replied to Mary, on the surface seemed almost cold in distance. He asked her, what does the lack of wine have to do with me? The word trans, he said woman, which was kind of weird because it was his mom, but it wasn't a word of, he wasn't disrespecting Mary. The word used there is guana, or guanai. It only suggests distance, not disrespect. His saying, his hour has not yet come, refers to his revelation of his godly mission on earth from Father God. It didn't reflect his public responsibility to the guests at the wedding party. That would only serve the bride and the groom if he did that miracle. Although the frigid appearance of him calling Mary woman, when you take his entire mission here on earth into consideration, and the fact that it wasn't really disrespect, it's not that bad. And it is accurate. In verse five, she's confident of what Jesus may do by telling the servants to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. Jesus told the servants to take the, few, the six stone pots present. The pots were large, 15 to 25 gallons, and they were used for ritual pur purification. These were stone, they weren't clay. I thought, geez, stone, what? That's a big, heavy pot. But stone does not have osmosis within, and, and the contents can't get contaminated. And they were used for ritual purity. And these jars provided more than enough to purify those attending the wedding fest, symbolizing the overabundance of the wine. I thought six pots, 15 to 30 gallons a piece made out of stone, that's a lot of wine. But Jesus was really showing off his overabundance of his grace and mercy to us and his ability to cover the sins. Not only to us, but everyone at the wedding party. The scene is particularly fitting because all the Lord's followers were in the were the bride of Christ. Doesn't matter if you're a woman, a man, a baby. We're all through faith, the bride of Christ. So a wedding ceremony is very appropriate for this miracle. Despite the service not knowing why they were told to take these big stone pots and fill them with water, they obediently and faithfully did it. They filled them right to the brim. After filling the jars, the Lord ordered them to take it to the steward of the feast. The steward was the guy in charge. He was supplying the wine, which he obviously failed. <laughs> but the Lord covered him, just like he covers us from our sins. Upon arrival, when the stones got back to him, the steward tasted it. The stewards did not know what the, the disciples and the people had done with, with the, the jars. But it's interesting. The disciples knew. And they, without telling the service, brought it to him and just kind of let him sit and think about it which I thought was interesting. It's all too common. A parallel today is it's all too common. The people in charge of the churches, I'm not picking on any particular religion or denomination, but it's typical for the people in charge, like politicians, I didn't say that, to not know what's really going on. But the people below Jesus the servants that filled the jar with water knew exactly what might happen with their efforts. This miracle that Jesus 
performed turning the, the water into wine is really worthy of more study of us, all of us. It's interesting to use the word, he used the word sign, not miracle. Use the word sign. That is to uplift the deity of Jesus and gives us to look forward to something. At the end of our lives here on earth, we go to heaven. Jesus was a sign for us. He wasn't a miracle. He wasn't something we just say, oh, yeah, okay, well, that was, God did that, whatever. No, no, no. Jesus was a sign to humankind that we can all go back and join our Father God when our race or our life here on earth is complete. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Mike takes a lot of time and study. And when I follow him, I take, I try not to repeat some of the things he said, but, you know, to kind of build on it. And Oh, is that right? And Mike's son is cleaning the church now, and you know I, or Ben, Ben, you might mention to Ben the altar here could be. It's been right, yeah, and we see Ben um, periodically through through the week, and and you know that Ben's not adopted; he looks a lot like Mike in his younger years. <laughs> Good-looking guy. And I've been encouraging him. Every time I see him, I, I think he kind of runs from me because he knows I'm going to ask him to come to church. And, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm working my way there. He's working his way there. And I believe, Mike, you've asked Ben to come to church too. Oh, yeah. Amen. So we appreciate that. As I mentioned earlier, immediately following the worship service, we were invited over to um, the Austrian Legion and all you have to do is kind of take 81 right straight up, and it'll be on your right once you get into Osseo, past the light there, it's on the right. Um, these verses are verses that oftentimes we don't study, we kind of neglect. But it's at weddings, particularly at weddings, it's brought up about Jesus and Cana of Galilee, and, and even at funerals. Because it talks about the, the essence of, of Christianity and, and how Jesus blessed the wedding ceremony for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, and sickness and health. And it was at a wedding that he performed a miracle. It's at weddings that we find that it's very joyous. I've recently been contacted from couples that want me to set aside certain dates because they're going to be renewing their vows on their 50th. And I, 50 years, I mean, 50 years ago I married you? How can that possibly be? You know, time has transpired so quickly. Then I look at Mike, and I know Mike, he, he graduated, he was born in 70. 1970, that was the year I graduated. 70, wow, you know, life seems to be going by so fast. Well, these verses here describe a miracle. A miracle which always should possess a special interest. An interest in your mind, in my mind, in the eyes of a true Christian. You consider yourself a true Christian. Let's look at this. Well, it is, at first, in the order of time. We find the order of time here of the many mighty works which Jesus did when he was on this earth are very distinctly told this beginning, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. And like every other miracle which St. John was inspired to record, it is related with great minuteness minuteness and particular behavior. And like every other miracle in St. John's Gospel, it's, it's very rich. It's rich in its spiritual blessings. We learn firstly. What do we learn firstly? Well, from these verses, 
How honorable, how honorable in the sight of Christ is the estate of matrimony. I've seen kind of a steady digression of couples and their excitement of weddings and matrimony. Originally in my career, couples would come to me and, and they would want to set aside a certain date, certain month, just to make sure that my schedule was clear. Then it, an interesting thing happened a number of years ago where I noticed in a paper, local paper, that a certain couple was getting married and I was doing the service. And that was the first time that I'd known about it. I contacted a couple and I said, um, wasn't it a little presumptuous, you know, you're throwing this wedding party and renting this facility and reception hall and everything and, and then just hoping that I would make my appearance. We were distinctly told that this was the beginning of miracles, that in the sight of Christ, this was the estate of matrimony, to be present at a marriage, to be present at the marriage during those days was almost the, the first public act of the Lord's earthly, earthly ministry. Marriage is not a sacrament, as the Church of Rome asserts. We look at sacraments of, of distinction where Christ actually participated in. It is simply a state of life that is ordained by God for our benefit, for the benefit of the family and the benefit of the husband and, and the wife. But it's a state which ought never to be spoken of with levity or, or regarded with disrespect. The prayer book service, the original prayer book service of all denominations has well described it as an honorable estate. And they use these synonymous words as an honorable estate instituted of God in the times of man's innocence and signifying unto us the mystical union which exists between Christ and his church. And we're going to explore that a little later. Society is never in a healthy condition. And true religion never flourishes in the, that land where the marriage tie is, is um, lightly esteemed. They who lightly esteem it have not the mind of Christ. They who, who beautified and adorned the estate of matrimony by the presence of Christ and, and first miracle that he wrought in Canaan of Galilee is, is one who is always of one mind and one body. Marriage says the Holy Ghost by St. Paul is honorable in all, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. We see a distinction through the years of your life and my life where couples have chosen to to come to church and get to know Christ and get to know one another. Courtship. And normally they have chosen to get married before other acts. One thing, however, ought not to be forgotten, that marriage is a step which so seriously affects the temporal, the temporal happiness and spiritual welfare of of two immortal souls, that it ought never to be taken in hand unadvisedly, as the prayer books of every denomination says, unadvisedly, lightly, wantonly, and without due consideration. And to be truly happy, it should be undertaken reverently and discreetly and in the fear of God. Christ's blessing and presence are essential to every happy wedding. 
And I tell couples that I'm not so concerned about the wedding as the marriage. The wedding is one day, the marriage is the rest of your life. The marriage at which there is no place for Christ and his disciples is not the one that can justly be expected to prosper. We learn secondly from these verses that there are times, there are times when it is lawful to be merry and rejoice. Our Lord himself sanctioned a, a wedding feast by his, his, own, his own pleasures, his own presence. He did not refuse to be a guest at a, a marriage in Cana of Galilee, a feast as it is written is made for laughter and merriment, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 19. Our Lord in this passage before us, his countenance and concluded both the feast and the use of fellowship. True religion was never meant to make you and I melancholy, For on the contrary, it was intended to increase, increase our real joy and our happiness to make it a momentous experience, never to be forgotten. The servants of Christ unquestionably ought to be, to have nothing to do with races and halls and theaters and such like amusements which tend to frivolity and, and dissipation if not to sin. But he has no right to hand over innocent recreations and family gatherings to the, the, to the devil and, and the world. The Christian who withdraws entirely from the society of their fellow human beings and walks the earth with a face of melancholy as if they were attending a funeral is not good, does injury to the cause of the gospel, but a very cheerful and a, and a kindly spirit is a great recommendation to a believer. It is a positive misfortune to Christianity when a Christian cannot smile. A merry heart and, and a readiness to take part in, in all innocent, innocent mirth are gifts of inestimable values. They go far to soften our prejudices, to take up our stumbling blocks out of the way and to make way for Christ and the gospel. I enjoy looking at some of our wedding pictures and talking about those who are part of our wedding. The subject, no doubt, is, is a difficult and a delicate one. On no point of Christian practice, it, is it so hard to hit the, the mean, the mean between that which is lawful and that which is unlawful, between that which is right and that which is wrong? It is very hard indeed to be both merry and wise. High spirits soon degenerate into brevity and levity. Acceptance of many invitations to feasts soon lead to a waste of time and begins and begets the, the leanness, the leanness of soul. Frequent eating and, and drinking and other tables soon lowers the Christian's tone of religion and going often into company is a, is a heavy strain and, and a spirituality of heart. Do we need to check our spirituality of heart? In here, if, if anywhere, God's children have a need to be on their guard. Each must know their own strength and, and natural temptations and, and act accordingly. One believer can go without risk where another cannot. Happy is the one who can use their Christian liberty without abusing it. It is possible to be sore, sorely wounded in, in soul 
at marriage feasts and the tables of our friends. One golden rule on the subject may be laid down in the use of which will save us much trouble. Let us take care that we always go to feasts in the spirit of our divine master and that we never go where we should not have gone. Like Jesus, let us endeavor to be always about, always about our Father's business, according to Luke 2.49. And like Jesus, let us, let us willingly promote joy and gladness, but let us strive that it may be a sinless joy, if not joy in the Lord. And let us endeavor to bring the salt of grace into every company and to drop the word in season and and of grace with every ear we address. And much good may be done in society by giving a healthy tone to our conversations. Let us never be ashamed to show our colors and to make others see where we are and, and whom we serve. We may sell, say, well, who is sufficient for those and these things? But if Christ went to a marriage feast in Cana of Galilee, surely something that Christians can do on similar occasions, let them only remember that if they go where their master goes, they must go in their master's spirit. And we will learn lastly, we learn lastly from these verses the almighty power, the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are told of a miracle which he wrought at the marriage feast when the wine failed, and by a mere act, he changed the water into wine and so supplied the need for all the guests. And the manner in which the miracle was worked deserves special attention. And notice, we are, we are not told of any outward visible action which preceded or accompanied it, it's not said that he touched the wine pots containing the water that was made wine. It's not said that he commanded the water to be changed into qualities or that he prayed his Father in heaven. He simply willed. He simply willed the change. And the change took place. We read of no prophet we read of no apostle in the Bible who ever worked a miracle after this fa fashion, the act of will. He who could do such a mighty work in such a manner was nothing less than the very God. And it's a comfortable thought as we conclude that the same almighty power of will, the almighty power of will which our Lord here displayed is still exercised on behalf of his believing people. They have no need of his bodily presence to maintain their cause. They have no reason to be cast down because they cannot see Jesus with their eyes interceding for them or touch Jesus with their hands that they may cling to Jesus for safety. If he wills, if he wills, say it with me, if he wills, their salvation and the daily supply of all their spiritual need, they are as safe and well provided for as if they saw him standing by them. Christ's will, Christ's will is a mighty, mighty and effectual as Christ's deed. In the will of Jesus, the will of Jesus could say to the Father, I will, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. It is a will that has all power in heaven and earth and, and must prevail according to John, the 17th chapter, the 24th verse. Happy are those who, like the disciples, believe on Jesus by whom this miracle, miracle was wrought. A greater marriage, a greater marriage feast than that of Cana will one day be held when Christ himself will, will be the bridegroom and the believers will be the bride. 
A greater glory will one day be manifested when Jesus shall take to himself his great power and reign, and blessed will they be in that day when they are called to the marriage feast of the Lamb, according to Revelations 19.9. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television, Jesus began his ministry with a miracle in Canaan of Galilee. And one of the most miraculous finishing touches of Jesus' ministry, when he will say, come up hither, come Lord Jesus, to that grand marriage feast in heaven, when all the saints will gather around that marriage feast, that table, where the bride of Christ will gather and remind us that that body that was broken, that blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you repeat this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you for your love of me. Forgive my sins, O Lord, those I've committed and omitted, good things and bad things. Come in by your Holy Spirit. Empower me, O Lord to be wise and discerning in these times I live in. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, as we wait upon you for our tithes and our offerings, we ask that you would turn in your bulletins to our offertory prayer, and if you would join me in this prayer printed in your bulletins. Generous God, we're reminded through scripture of the spiritual gifts that you give. We know that these are not for us to be held onto, but are gifts for us to share. Gifts from you meant for giving. As we offer our tithes and offerings, prompt us to commit more than dollars, but to see the gifts you have written in our, in our hearts and to share generously of these as well. We pray these words in the name of Jesus, in whose way we follow. For those love, we are eternally grateful. Amen. Let us turn now to our offertory hymn, The Church's One Foundation, verses 1, 2, 4, and 5. 1, 2, 4, and 5.
Would you stand for the doxology, please? God of new beginnings, we move into this new year. Stir in us the feelings of expectation. Kindle our hearts and minds to see possibilities for our world and for your kingdom. Help us to believe that the world we have can be better, more loving, more just, more compassionate, and looking much more like the world you've imagined for us. Lord, help us to give generously this day to empower that to happen. In the name of the Christ, Savior and Redeemer, we pray. Amen. <laughs> 